I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, but holy fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so today I wanted to go over a couple of things. A couple of things that we've talked about, but I feel like I need to review, but also sort of synopsize better. So on Patreon, we had had these long conversations about the go-to-your-room strategy, which I'll fully explain in a minute for new listeners. And we had the opportunity in Patreon for you guys to ask questions and follow up. And so it ended up being a couple of mini podcasts, a couple of parts to it. So I'm going to try to put this all in one. But I also wanted to go over this concept today because I don't know if your feed is anything like mine on social media. I mean, I'm sure it's not, (laughs) but I am getting inundated with pummeled almost with the co-regulation concept and co-regulation is very important. And the bottom line, I think, is a friend had said this to me one day. She thinks of co-regulation as, have you ever had a dog? Dogs are the perfect co-regulator, right? They know when you're upset and they're just there. They're just there. They don't try to fix you. They don't try to make you be quiet, stop crying. They're just there and their calming presence calms you down. So that's like a perfect example of co-regulation. And due to the nature of social media, and I have been harping on this (laughs) quite a lot, and so I feel bad for anybody who's heard me say this ad nauseum, but social media is reducing us down to sound bites. And we know this, but reels. So reels on Instagram are the thing that gets you traction. They put more eyes in front of your content, which is awesome. But reels, luckily, they just extended it to 90 seconds. But before that, it was a minute. And so you take somebody's expertise. I've been in the parenting space for 18 years. I have been a parent educator for over 18 years. And I've been a full-time potty training and parent coach for 13 years. So I've seen some things. I have expertise in addition to my education. But what happens is you have to reduce these complicated concepts down to one minute, right? And the catchier they are, the more people look at them and the more likes you get and that feeds the algorithm. So it's a really frustrating position to be in as a professional in any sort of context where you have to like distill this information down. Some ways I find it very challenging and interesting because I think, oh gosh, like if you can say it in a minute, why take an hour, right? But so many of these things are nuanced. And I find the conversation about co-regulation is so nuanced. And I see this all the time on Instagram. And it's just the co-regulation part that when your kid is having a big feeling, regardless, 
Like if it's a big feeling about how you cut the sandwich or if it's a big feeling because daddy just got deployed and, you know, he's in the military and won't be home for months, that those are equally big reactions and everything should be met with calm, loving presence and co-regulation. And that is true. That is perfect. If you are in the position to co-regulate when your child is having a throwdown meltdown, that is an awesome way. However, I work with clients. I always have a full client load. So everything I say isn't BS. It's like been tried and true. I've had the theory, tried it, and it's worked. And that's why I put it out on something like a podcast. So bear that in mind. What I don't see is the follow-up for what happens next. So if, number one, your child has hit one of your wounds, your child has triggered you, you are now dysregulated, you cannot co-regulate with your child. You are unable to co-regulate with your child, yes? So what's the prevailing advice? Take yourself out of the equation. A parent time out. Wonderful. That is great. If you can say, I will be right back. I am having some big feelings and I just need a minute to go make myself calm, you know, then, and you can go to the bathroom, count to 10, do whatever it is you can to get to baseline. Perfect. That's great. But again, I never see any follow-up for what I see in real life, which is then the kid throws themselves at you, they're, they're wrapped around your leg, you're dragging them. If you are already dysregulated, this is now going to put you over the edge, right? Because now this kid is clinging, maybe they've escalated. It's huge. The other thing I don't really see mention of is what if you are making dinner and you have a newborn who then starts to lose it? You have two or three, four kids and they all start to escalate. And this is like crazy making. So That is a situation I never see addressed, and we'll get to all of this in a second. But I think also we cannot discount, let me say say it like that, we cannot discount the idea that sometimes our kids are having these big emotions because they are attempting to manipulate the situation. And what this means is your boundaries have been loose. And so what has happened over time is that your child has discovered that if they just throw a big enough fit, they will be fine. So if that happens and your child is throwing a fit because they are, you know, attempting to get something. And you know this because you will know if you've had weak boundaries. If you have said no, no, no. Okay, fine. Yes, because your child is throwing a fit. That is poor boundaries on your part. And without any shame, without any guilt, what your child has learned is that if I throw X amount of fits, I will get the thing I want. Again, no emotion. Take all emotion out of it. It's literally, they're just learning all the time, right? And I always use the example, you got a full grocery cart, you're in the store, your child, you know, they put the candy, I level with the kid, and the kid starts crying for M&Ms. And you're like, no, 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 no. And then the kids keeps escalating. You don't want to get out of line. You don't want to leave the store. You don't want to deal with it right now because you're exhausted. You got to get out. You still have to you know, pay for the groceries, get them to the car and get home. And so you cave and you say yes. Literally, all the child has learned is that, oh, three no's means a yes. So I just need to keep pushing. That's all, right? So when that happens and you're, you know, cooking dinner and the child wants something and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And they keep throwing fits, they escalate. You know, because you'll feel like, oof, I feel like this kid is just playing me, right? It's not like, um, it's not like that huge feeling of like, oh my God, what is up with my child? I just don't know this poor thing. Like, oh, they're having such a big feeling that I cut the the sandwich wrong, right? Or maybe in the past you fixed the sandwich. So now they say, well, if I just cry a little, if I just throw a fit, my mom will fix the sandwich, right? So there's like that scenario as well. There also is a really big difference between emotions and feelings. Yes, 
Emotions are like deep within an emotion will like overcome you. And emotion is, again, I used to distinguish it with feelings and reactions. So if you do something and the child throws a fit, they're having a reaction. A big feeling is like, I'm so sad. So-and-so is not my friend today or daddy's leaving or mommy's leaving or those are big feelings. And I think that kids have had those, you know, especially like separation anxiety happening post-pandemic. So in any case, I've heard somebody distinguish with emotions versus feelings, but I call them reactions and feelings. So then the other thing is, is if your child is happening to go through a volatile stage, which they all do, they go through this somewhere in the two to three range, right? Where just like everything makes them melt down. If you were to co-regulate, you might not actually get anything done throughout the day, right? And you, maybe you work at, you know, inside the home, maybe you work outside the home, maybe your child is having such kind of volatile reactions that it's disrupting daycare, you're getting notes from preschool, something like that. And in those cases, sometimes co-regulating, again, is great if you can do it, but you have to take into consideration your capacity, your trigger points, and the child in front of you. Now, we've gone over tantrums before, right? But when a child is having a meltdown, we often try to help. We try to use words. We try to de-escalate the tantrum by using logic, which will never, ever, ever work with our kids, right? Our little ones especially. So one thing you need to know is you need to immediately be quiet, like immediately. And you are usually the stimulating thing. So words are very stimulating, as are various presents. So if your kid is super pissed off at you, you got to get out of Dodge or the child's got to get out of Dodge because you guys being there, like if you just maintain co-regulation, the child may not co-regulate. The child may just get infuriated. And I have seen that, yes? And I never see this addressed. And again, maybe it's because social media is too like short bursts, but I never see like the follow-up of what happens when the child is like really disrupting the household in a way that is unsustainable, be it because of you, your trigger points, just because they're like crazed and or because there's other people in the room that will escalate the situation as well, either escalate themselves or be stimulating and escalate the child. So over time, I developed a go-to-your-room strategy because I really started to think about just how we learn to self-regulate. And yes, you can self-regulate while co-regulating, right? So if I'm upset and you're my friend and just being with you kind of calms me down, that's awesome. But also I'm not exactly self-regulating, I'm co-regulating. You are teaching me to co-regulate, which is, again, awesome. And it's a vital part of parenting, learning to stay calm in a lot of these things. Trust me, I am the mom of a teenager now, and a lot of you guys have followed my path, you know, some rocky patches I have had with Pascal. And even as a teenager, I have learned stay fucking regulated, Jamie. I can start to feel my triggers, you know, getting hot. For me, it's a hot thermometer. It runs like inside the whole length from my throat all the way down to about my belly button. I can feel how hot it is. And the hotter that thermometer gets, the faster it gets, the more I know I'm dealing with my own shit, not my child's shit. And You know, there's stuff like when a kid is just disrespectful, yeah, that can trigger anybody. Like you do everything for them and now they're being so disrespectful. That can be a problem, right? However, for me, I've just really learned that internal gauge of like, just shut up, James. Shut up because this is yours, not his. Coast this out. And I've really, really learned. So you might as well start practicing it now. You may not be good at it, but all of parenting is a practice anyway, right? And it's good for your child to see you practice. 
So I developed the go to your room strategy because I, I figured out, I was like, wait a minute. Yes, it's great when you have a friend, when you have somebody there co-regulating with you and helping you calm down. But that's not exactly learning how to self-regulate. Learning how to self-regulate is learning what do I do that calms myself down? What are some of the things I do that allow me to start processing the information, start letting it out, start easing the whatever it was, the edge of anger, the edge of frustration. And that's why I started sending kids to their room. And there's so many questions about this. Parents say, yes, but that's isolating. Yes, that's abandoning the child. That's no better than a timeout. You know, I don't want to abandon him during big feelings. I hear you loud and clear. But if you are dysregulated, you are doing more harm than good. Yes. So you two in a room, you got to be separated. If the child is being extra volatile and you don't have the capacity, again, because of all those factors I said before, it is okay to separate the child. Yes. And we do this to teach, you know, regular behavior. You know, if I throw a fit in the grocery store, I am going to get kicked out. So there is that component. But the bigger issue is that kids' rooms today are not punishments, right? Like if you have a very austere room and there's nothing in it and the child going there would feel very like, there's nothing to do, I'm all by myself. But typically there are the child's favorite things in the room. And what I have found time and time and time again is the child learns to self-regulate. They start playing with something. For some kids, it's Legos. For some kids, it's, you know, playing with their dolls. Maybe it's just lying on their bed and taking some time. But bedrooms today aren't a punishment. So I really use that to let parents know that you're not abandoning the kid, but you're like, hey, take some time to settle your body. And we definitely say that to the child. So that's key. What you don't want to do is say, you're going to your room. It's not a punishment. And typically how this starts to morph is like, there's a trajectory to it, right? So what typically happens is that at the very first times, the kid is like not willing to go. You may even have to do like the little surfboard, get them to their room, take some time for yourself. But what happens is you start to recognize when the ramp up is starting. You know, like, whoa, we're starting to get onto rocky territory. You know where this is going to lead. It's going to lead to a meltdown or a tantrum. And so you can cut it off. You can nip it in the bud. And part of that is saying, hey, listen, I heard you. You don't want to eat your dinner. That is totally fine. You can eat your dinner or you can go settle your body in your room if you want. And you have to be cool with both options. You literally have to be cool with if your child wants to leave the dinner table. And a lot of parents will say, well, that's not fair. Then he's not going to eat his dinner and then he's going to be hungry later. And that could happen, but you have to offer reasonable choices. So the choices are the thing I'm asking you to do, or you can go to your room. And a, a lot of times the kids will go, okay, I'm going to go to my room and it will be peaceful. They'll settle their body. They'll come out. They'll say, I've had kids. They're so cute. They at the edge of the door, like in the hall, mommy, I'm settled. Can I come out now? And you're like, yeah, come on out. Right. And then this next part is also vital. And parents just don't understand this. So hear me out. Do not process the emotion. Do not process the feeling. Do not go back and try to learn the lesson. Hey, let's go over what happened. Not cool. Yes. What you're doing there is going back into their little brains. Does it feel good anytime? Like say you apologize to a friend and you're like, wow, I'm so sorry. I got like totally like I was just so mean in that moment. I got triggered. I'm so sorry. I lost my shit. I apologize. I'm calm now. And they say, okay, but we need to go over why you lost your shit. That was not nice. And you said mean words to me. 
I settled. I don't need to go over. Like, I know I was shitty. And I said, sorry, do we have to go over why I was shitty? It feels shameful. So you're dumping shame on the child and that's going to reactivate them. And if you've ever tried to process, you know, that often happens. They get reactivated. They don't, I don't want to talk about it. Right. They don't want to talk about it because they know they were shitty. They know they had a big reaction. They know they went to their room. They calmed down and now they just want to join the family again. And you should let them with grace and ease. Yes, absolutely. Come on out. I saved your dinner for you. I can't wait to hear about your day. You just repaired. And that is awesome. So that's the go to your room strategy. And again, I really think where it gets hard is making it not a punishment. Yes. Making it like, hey, man, you need some time. You just need some time to calm your body. Don't ever say calm down. Calm down. Never works. Don't ever say calm down. But they need some time away. And you can just tell them that. Say, hey, listen, either I need to go to my bedroom or you need to go to your bedroom. But one of us needs to go because we're both not calm. Yes. Now, if the child specifically requests that you come in and co-regulate with them, that's totally fine, especially if you know your kid and you say, okay, right now isn't the right time for me to be, you know, away from my child. Right now, my child really needs me. Absolutely. Go sit in their room with them. But what you should see if it's like working well, what you should see is the child de-escalates very quickly. Yes. But if you go to the room and the child starts in with, no, get out of my room, starts throwing stuff at you. That's not cool either. Okay. And then the other thing is, you know, if you can, again, if you have the capacity, if you're not so dysregulated yourself, say, hey, Listen, whoa, 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 time. Hey, can we just sit and take a couple of breaths? Can you go outside? Can you get some air? Can you go quickly take them out the door and say, you know, oh my God, what do you see that's green? Oh, the grass, the trees, right? You might be able to pop it into another zone right away. You don't have to change or fix the feeling. The idea is that you want them de-escalated. And that's what we're going for all the time. Because a lot of times what parents confuse too is they say, okay, when I say take the child outside, get a breath of fresh air, see if you can find you know X amount of green things, what parents will typically do then is they think they have to fix the feeling, right? And that gets very murky because what'll happen is you might say, okay, 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 I'll cut the sandwich a different way. That's fixing the feeling, yes? Changing their state, helping them change their own state is not fixing the feeling. So one of the conundrums I find, or one of the paradoxes, I don't know what the right word is, but one of the things I find about like the gentle parenting community is that oftentimes there is so much fixing of emotion and feelings because the parents cannot have any distress tolerance. So then they go to this place of, okay, 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 just stop, stop freaking out, stop freaking out because they're wildly uncomfortable with the freak out themselves. So I hope that clarifies. I, and again, for this was for new listeners. If you're an old listener, this might be old hat for you. So I apologize. But I just wanted to sort of put that all in a nice little package and a nice bow because I think it can be confusing in this world. And like I said, I'm inundated on social media. So you guys must be too. I'm assuming we follow some of the same things, right? And what happens is you're almost getting pieces of the puzzle and not always the whole thing. And so I just don't want you to feel bad if you're following other accounts that are like, Yes, when your child's having a big emotion, you should co-regulate and stay calm. And that's wonderful advice, except, you know, you're like a real person with a lot of wounds yourself and a lot of (laughs) like your own history. And it's not always easy to stay calm. And so what can you do instead? And again, like I said, I think post-pandemic, especially during the pandemic, which, you know, most of your littles are pandemic babies, right? And so what's happening is they had these really big emotions and it was very, very nerve wracking, right? Like everybody was on edge and I saw just like super volatile behavior. 
And like I said, you guys, I wouldn't give you information that I didn't know worked. And to hear parents, private clients, time and time and time again say, oh my God, oh my God, it's it's great. Oh my God. Now he even takes himself to his room. He'll say, you know, I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm going to go to my room and settle my body. Like kid, that is self-regulation. And I think that's very confusing that co-regulation is not necessarily teaching self-regulation. Yes, it is changing the state. It is helping the circumstance. It is the child feeling seen and heard, which is all wonderful stuff, but it won't necessarily teach self-regulation. I also wanted to bring up, because this comes up too, this came up on an Instagram post. I've talked about it here before, but like why I don't like calm corners, but you know, I'm not going to talk about calm corners today, but I will say that I just want to remind you that teaching kids words, like frustrated, happy, sad, oh, I can see you're really frustrated right now. Yes, that's great. That's validating. Again, they feel seen and heard and that's awesome. However, those words don't necessarily teach how to self-regulate. They teach literacy, emotional literacy, right? They teach the child how to label the feeling, but they won't teach the child how to self-regulate. Obviously, no punishing, no threatening. So this go to your room strategy should never be, you know, and even if you feel so angry. And I know there's some kids like if you see red and I've had clients say that I see red, I go to red. Guys, that's indicative of your own trauma. And you need to work on that. Whatever that was, go to your therapist and say, my kid said this. I saw immediate red. What is that? That's a splinter in my subconscious. I need to get that out. Can you help me with that? Let's dig into that hole. Find out what is up with that, because that is a problem. Yes. Seeing red. If you see red, if you get so triggered that you know, like you you almost might be endangering the child, you might feel like so angry, which it can and does happen. Maybe it hasn't happened to you, but it can and does happen. Then just stop. Put your hands behind your back. Clench your hands behind your back. Sit down. Close your eyes. Your child probably will look a little shocked. And you just say, I'm just breathing. I'm just breathing. I'm just breathing. Get a mantra set up that you can say that lets your child know that you're still present and you're taking some space. But there, these are the real life situations that I see that become so hard and so complicated that just, you know, hearing the words, you know, all you need to do is co-regulate could be really fucking hard for you to hear if you're one of, if you're in a space where this is you and you're like, of course I want to co-regulate. Like if I could sit there calmly while my child is flipping out, I would, but I can't, right? So I hope that helped. And again, you know, it's always, if you have any questions, comments, I I am open, of course. Another next thing, this dives into sort of like age appropriate tantrums and behaviors. So because my work, a lot of you guys came to my work through potty training and then like, oh crap, I have a toddler and my podcast and I've been extremely helpful for you. But now your kid's like a different age, right? Like maybe they're six or seven and you're like, well, what you got for me, James? <laughs> Because like the, I got the toddler stuff. So number one, I'd love to hear from you if your child is six or seven. Like I work under Kim John Payne's sections of childhood that there's zero to six, six to 12, and 12 to 18. And zero to six is govern, six to 12 is garden, and 12 to 18 is guide. As the mom of a teenager who's been through all these sections, it is so great if you can really follow almost that basic premise. Yes, if you can govern in the zero to six. The other thing is it gets really hard to clump. You know, we call toddlers 
I fought tooth and nail because, oh crap, I have a toddler. I wanted to name it, oh crap, I have a three-nager because I love the word three-nager. People think it's derogatory, but I don't think being a teenager is derogatory. I think they go through very similar processes a three-year-old and a teenager. They are individuating. They are finding out they're their own people. They are separating from you psychologically. And it's just different because the risks are different, right? So a three-year-old individuating is different than a 16-year-old individuating. And my 16-year-old clearly is starting to drive. There's drinking, there's drugs, there's sex, there's all these other bigger issues, right? But I am guiding him now. I am not governing him now. Let me get back to the three-nature story. Because I really wasn't concerned about toddlers in the typical sense, like a toddler is when they start to toddle, right? When they start to, you know, anywhere from, say, 14 months to like 28 months, somewhere around there, right? Like that's what we typically think of as a toddler. I wrote the book because what I was seeing in my work is such a distinct difference. The year between two and three is like so crazy because like behavior that you might be able to co-regulate because they're little, right? You can see that they're frustrated because they they don't speak that well. They don't move that well, right? So you can see where it's all coming from. Maybe they're still hitting, right? Like, and at two, you're going to say like, oh, no, no, we don't hit. No, 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 we don't hit each other, right? But if that behavior continues for the year between two and three, you now have a three-year-old who's hitting. Now you have a three-year-old going to preschool who's hitting. Do you know what I mean? So there's a big difference. And I found that if parents don't sort of shift gears between two and three years old, you end up kind of stuck because you're treating your three-year-old like a two-year-old, yeah? And so behaviors that were once cute and manageable are not anymore. Now they're difficult. Now there's other kids to contend with and it just gets a little bit harder. So then we have the preschooler. And my favorite age really is that three to four. That preschool, those kids are like getting ready to fly. And then five and six is more like kindergarten, maybe even first grade for some. But it's hard to effectively say like I only work with preschoolers because it stretches right from like two I really think of it from like zero to six and so those are the govern years and that's when you're building your foundation so if you haven't built that foundation of boundaries and the rules the rules of engagement how your family operates your values those kinds of things again for new listeners I will have parents contact me and say they're working on their relationship with their two-year-old and I'm like You don't really have a relationship in the typical sense with a two-year-old. You are their provider. You are working on your bond, of course, and you are in relation, but it's not like the same as building a relationship in the later years when your child is communicating and becoming their own person. Your child really is dependent on you. And though you're starting to see bits of their personality, it's not really where they're going to end up. And I can tell you this because Pascal, like we were just laughing the other day. I was dying laughing. I was like, you just are nothing like I thought you were going to be. Like what he was at four. Oh my God. He was such an intense little kid. He wore a tie every day. He was like, he liked to go to funerals. He was like super into model trains. He was, he was very, very intense. And now he's like super laid back. He's kind of punk rock. It's wild, right? And so, because as kids grow, their personality unfolds, but also life hits you different, right? And so who knows, you know, your child's not going to be on the same path that they are now. So all by way of saying, That zero to six is really about those rules and foundations. like, And that's why I'm so firm about the boundaries and that govern aspect in this time. Because throughout the years in my life, in my work, I have seen parents like have the notion of like, oh, they're still little, they're still little, they're still little. 
And then they get to that six to 12 and now they have to start governing because now you have a kid who really has individuated, really knows they're their own person and is going to fight you tooth and nail, right? And if you haven't established this is how we work it, you have no time to do that gardening, the gardening of the mind, of the soul, of the, you know, physicality of life. It's such a joy, like gardening with another person. And of course, this is metaphor, but you're going to be relegated to the governing stage and you're going to spend time fighting and arguing. And I see it all the time. And it just breaks my heart because I see 10 year olds, like parents are taking doors off the hinges because they're slamming them. The arguments, like there's so much happening when you have to govern during those times. And so people have asked me over the years, like, okay, what do I do now with a six-year-old? You know, what do I do with a seven-year-old? And so I'd love to hear what you're experiencing so we can address things. But typically, What you want to look for is if you're seeing crappy behavior, you may not have governed that well in the zero to six. So you may not have established these boundaries. And what are some like overall boundaries? One boundary I always had with Pascal was crying will never get you what you want ever. If you want to stop crying and negotiate, I'll negotiate with you. If you want to stop crying and talk about it in a little while, we can revisit this. You can sit here and cry all day long and that will never get you the thing you want. And I think I've said that four times in the zero to six. And it just, even now as a teenager, he knows. Now he also knows, I said, listen, sometimes you hit me up for stuff and I'm frazzled. I just got off the computer. I just got off a client meeting and I'm in another place. I said, so number one, you got to give me a second to come back, right? Just like we try to afford that luxury to our children as well right? We don't expect them to close the book because we told them to right this second. We give them some time. But I told him, I said, listen, if I am unsure, I'll say maybe. Maybe literally is code for it. Leave me alone. And it's probably a yes. I need some time to think about it. If I say no, it is 100% a no. It's never turning into a yes. So maybe just leave me alone. Yes. If it's a yes, it's a yes. A maybe is leave me alone. It's probably a yes. Give me some time. And no means no. And so that is just a boundary that has been so great throughout his 16 and a half years, really, because he knows even now, I don't change my mind. If I said no, the answer is no, and I'm not negotiating. Yeah. And you can also be as mad as you want. You can do whatever you want. You can slam doors. We don't don't have doors, that many doors in my house, but (laughs) you can do whatever you, he's not a door slammer. He's such a good kid, but you can be angry, you know, and sometimes I'll see him. I can see the steam coming out of his nose, but he knows I mean no. So So those are some examples, you know, other examples, the boundaries can be, it's mostly about how you deal with crappy behavior. Yeah. And that is, you got to figure that out now so that you don't have to do that work when the child's six or seven, they're always going to push boundaries. Kids are always going to push boundaries. You just have to decide where they are. The other thing for the six to 12 is you have to remember, I think five and six can be some of the most challenging years. And then you kind of cruise for a little while. Yeah. And I always say to parents, 11 is the golden age because it's usually pre-puberty and the synapses are firing. So it's like this golden year. I love 11. But five and six is such a pain in the butt because they want to be so independent and they're kind of not, you know? So five and six is tricky, six and seven, then seven, eight, nine. I would say the biggest thing with the gardening part of this is lead with respect and and. I want to clarify because I think we should always treat our children with respect. Always, always, always. It infuriates me that somehow we relegate childhood to like they're not people, to like they don't deserve loving respect. However, respect doesn't mean you get your way. 
you know, respect means that I am not going to be a power lord over you. I will never say the words because I said so. Like I always will give it an, an explanation. And so when you're gardening, now is the time that your child's personality is really starting to blossom. And if they are in school, peer influence is starting heavy. So kindergarten, first grade, they, they're they all yours. Second, third, fourth, especially once you hit middle school, they become more peer oriented, which means they're listening more to their peers than you. So they're gonna be picking up all kinds of foul shit. They're all gonna start cursing. They're gonna say something you don't like, but they're trying to find themselves. And so being curious, leading with curiosity during this age, the six to 12 is so imperative. And letting them sort of talk out and flesh out who they think they are and who they want to be. So just curiosity, like whatever, leading any sort of conversation is that super curious, you know, tell me more about that. Tell me more about your class. Tell me more about why you like that dress or you want to dress this way. They're going to start picking out their own clothes. They're going to want their own hairstyle. So this is about like, that's again, the gardening, like you planted the seed and now the seed is growing. And your job now is to, yes, make sure this, make sure, you know, there's those like tomato cages, you know, like you want to put those boundaries around to keep them safe and make sure they grow like straight and tall and don't fall over and stuff. But you definitely want to appreciate the plant. And so if we take that metaphor, like, you know, we're coming into fall now, so like gardens are dying, but oh gosh, I remember, you know, in the spring, just seeing those sprouts come up, right? And you plant the seed, you keep the seed inside for the winter, and then all of a sudden you put it outside and and now it's growing. And then it gets like in the heat of summer, it just gets beautiful and big. And like, all of a sudden you have this fruit and the fruit's turning color and you're like, oh my God, it's like the miracle of life. And that's what's happening. This is that stage with the kids, right? It's like, wow, you know, I can't believe the blossoming, the blossoming that happens, you know? And that is just, I think, probably the most exciting aspect. So again, in this age, you want to, the six, seven, eight-year-old, you definitely want to lead with that, that curiosity about this amazing being that is blossoming there in front of you. And hopefully, like I said, if you have set your foundation right in that zero to six years and laid out all the boundaries and maintain that and been really a safe, relatively calm force in your child's life, then these years are going to be easy as you lead with that curiosity. So again, I know I didn't answer any specific questions because I don't know what people are particularly dealing with, but I'm happy to find out. But I would say that's the prevailing advice I would give you is this should be a really rich time of unfolding for both of you. And I know it seems weird because like zero to six, your child changes so drastically every day. But actually, they're kind of the same, you know, like your two year old isn't like that different from your three year old isn't that different from your four year old. But then somewhere in that like six, seven, eight, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is a whole different ballgame. And it's so exciting. I just I hope. I just wish every parent, this is what fuels my work, you guys, I swear, is like having seen in my own personal life and community, seeing parents who were sort of like way too permissive in those zero to six years, and now they're trying to play catch up with the boundaries and the rules and sort of the governing aspect. And it just is, it's so frustrating because these are such beautiful years that you want such a rich, deep connection with your child 
that if you are struggling with that, like just go back to the drawing board and try to nail down, like sit with your spouse or your partner and, and say, you know, what are our values? What are our boundaries? Go over any hot spots and say, well, how are we handling this? And what's our bottom line here? And if you need help, absolutely reach out because I, I am happy to work with older kids too, just because I work with younger kids. But it really comes down to that respect and that curiosity. And that will if everything else is in place, right? But if you can't be respectful and curious in those instances, if you're still dealing with like volatile behavior, you guys haven't, you know, you have skewed boundaries and it's kind of all a mess, then you're like, well, shit, this isn't rich or beautiful, you know? All right, as always, I appreciate you guys and rock on. I hope you have an awesome day. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have... Oh crap, I have a toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.